Matthew chapter 6. Now, we've been talking about uh, the book, God Why. Okay, we wrote God Why many years ago, first book we ever uh, published, to help people understand God better. Because out there, you hear so much incorrect uh, said about our Father. And I, I began, to, as a real believer, I, I began to get a little uh, upset with what people were thinking about my father. It's like at school, somebody talked bad about your mama, and what happens? Somebody talked bad about your dad. My dad can beat your dad. You're supposed to stand up. When somebody talks wrong about your father, wait a second, that's my, I'm connected to him. He's mine. And you're wrong. And so that's how I've always felt about God. When people say wrong things that aren't backed up by scripture, it's like, whoa, whoa you, you don't know him. You, don't, you must not know my, my father. Because my father's good. The way you're acting is he's not so good all the time. My father's very trustworthy. My heavenly father is, is uh, we could just say he's perfect. I mean, God is perfect. And so we need a right image of the perfect one. And so whatever, whatever uh, character traits or personality you think God has, however you're defending God, it better be right. So that we can answer all the tough questions for ourselves and others out there. So we've been doing that quite a long while. But there's just so much, isn't there? Just when you think you got God figured out, it's like, but what about this scripture? And about what about this experience? And what about what they said and, and what they believe? It's like, okay, fine. We can answer every one of those if we get to the Bible. If you'll let me open the Bible, we will solve all of the mysteries. How many of you like solving mysteries? How many of you don't like mysteries because it's too much work? I've always liked a good mystery, right? Let's go figure this stuff out. It's kind of fun, isn't it? The Bible says you're going to have to study. The man of God should study to show himself approved unto God. And so if you're going to be a diligent Christian, you can't just uh, puppet or parrot uh, the opinions of television and friends and even family. We thank God for family. It doesn't mean they were spiritually correct in the way that they trained us. Uh, Matthew 6 is where I wanted to start. Now, we've read this much. This, this helps us connect with God in a basic way. And it's very basic to all Christians. If you can't get Matthew chapter 6 in your heart, you will struggle as a believer. Matthew chapter 6 covers all of your basic necessities in this life. The first thing that every believer does is run to God to get help in this natural life, isn't it? You don't run to God to become spiritual, not first. First, people run to God to get help. They feel bad, they have a problem, they need help. Help me. Matthew 6 is your first help chapter. And part of your help comes by not worrying, by knowing you have a heavenly father. So that's what this passage covers. I'm going to skip down to verse 31. It says, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry. Now stop there. I wanted you to see verse 32 particularly. What does it say? 
For after all these things, the who seeks? The Gentiles. Now, this was written to Jews. This was spoken to Jews. And so how many of you are Jewish in here? Some of you are probably part Jewish somewhere. Maybe not. How many Gentiles in here? Okay, now technically you're a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay, that's all it really means is a non-Jew. But now we're not Gentiles in this passage. You have to understand, this is about covenant. The reason he said it this way, it refers to covenant. And so what Jesus is explaining to the Jews particularly, because his ministry was straight to the Jews, what he was saying was, hey, you don't have to worry because you have a heavenly father and he knows what you need, so don't worry. He's going to take care of your basic necessities always. All you have to do is seek him and his kingdom. He said, don't worry about your stuff because the people out there are worried. You don't have to be worried. So he's distinguishing people of God versus non-people of God. Or we could say people with covenant versus people with no covenant. And this is where that word becomes very important. God is a covenant-making God. And if you don't know that, what that means is he made a contract with his people. He made an agreement with those that trusted him. He did it first with the Jews through Abraham. First with Abraham, period. Uh, He's made covenants throughout history. Uh, The main covenant was the first covenant. The second main covenant is the the new covenant, the second covenant. He made one with Noah. He made one with David. So he's a covenant-making God. What that means is, in covenant, God says, aha, you're mine, I'm yours. What I have is yours. What you have is mine. I'll live for you. I'll die for you. I'll serve you. You serve me, I'll serve you. I'll never let you fall. I'll never let you fail. You'll always support me and I'll always support you. And and usually covenants were an exchange of strengths and weaknesses. God exchanges his strength for our weakness. The only strength we have to give is that we're in the earth. The only need that God has for us besides family and love is that we have authority in the earth. So when God wants to do something in the earth, he needs us. That's why he always looked for a man. God's looking for a man or a woman to use. Why? Why can't he just do it himself? Because he gave the earth to us. He put us here. So we have a part to play in this. And that in itself kind of starts to answer the question of Where is God when things go wrong? How come God let such and such happen? Well, because his involvement in the earth depends highly on human cooperation. We've covered that. We've proved that out. He's always needed a human to trust him and believe him and have faith and step out and obey. And anybody who didn't trust him, didn't believe him, didn't step out and obey, they fell flat. And so did God's plan for a season. Like he waited. He had to wait for people to get right. He had to wait for them to finally obey. He had to wait for people to finally believe. And so that answers the question in general as to why sometimes evil seems to happen and God didn't intervene. There must have been a missing human. There must have been a missing human element somewhere. 
So you have to know that the way God does this is not automatic. The day you became a Christian, he didn't automatically, you know, start taking care of your life. That's probably not a very good symbol, is it? I get it. He did not just open the windows of heaven and dump it all on you by default. No, he still requires that his people don't worry. Do not worry. Only seek. You do have to seek. There's conditions to these promises of God. And so don't think like people with no covenant because you and I have a covenant through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have a great, perfect covenant that God has said, because of my son and his death, I'm yours and you're mine forever. Not only will I support you, I'm actually now your heavenly father. Since you received his son, he receives us as sons. That changes everything, doesn't it? That's, that's probably the main difference. There's, there's about three main differences. That's, that's the main difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, nobody could call God father. The new covenant, we can all call him father. And we can do it because he put his spirit in us. And his spirit in us says, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the witness of the spirit crying out, Abba, father. Yeah, 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 he's your father, he's your father. And you can trust your father. So in times of stress or need, you need to know, you can run straight to your father. Every single person in the building can run straight to your father. Occasionally, it seems a little hard, so you come for prayer and get somebody to go with you to the father. That's all it is. Same father, you can do it at home, but you got to have faith. You got to not worry. You got to have some scripture in you. So I want you to see this. Those who have a covenant with our covenant making God are secure. So whatever you read about in the, in the Old Testament, whatever stories you hear in modern day, you need to just always know, but wait a second, I have a covenant with God. That should be your thought in life. I have, but, but wait, I have, a, I have a covenant with God. A problem knocks at your door. Everybody's a little frantic. You should be the one in the house that, whoa, 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 I got a covenant with God. It's going to be all right. I got a covenant with God. And then the family's like, well, we have a covenant with God too. It's like, well, then act like it. Stop, stop, stop acting so frantic. Stop acting like you don't. Stop acting like you forgot who your father was. Stop acting like Jesus said nothing. See, this is where believers in Christ sometimes forget to believe. When crisis comes, what are you going to do? You gotta, that's, that's the moment to believe God. That's the moment to take a step of faith. So... We have to look at this as when a person has covenant with God, everything's all right. That means you got your needs met. That's health. That's financial. That means you got joy. You got peace. You're freed from sin. You're freed from devil torment. You got to know this. That's how you kick the devil in the teeth. How do you kick the devil in the teeth? Like that. No. In the name of Jesus, I got a covenant with God. Hush your mouth. And you do it with your heart. This is just showing you what my heart feels like. No. Out. Uh-uh. See, if you know who you are in Christ, if you know who your father is, if you know you have a covenant, you kick the devil in the teeth. 
Some of you, all you got to do is kick the devil in the teeth with your heart, with your spirit, man. No. You feel that? That's what you can do at home by yourself. Sickness knocks at the door. Calamity knocks at the door. It could be something detrimental that happened to your child. No. And you, your first, the first words out of your mouth should not be, oh, no. It should be no. Now, if you're thinking, what are they talking about in here? Then just sit still. I'm putting, I'm putting scriptures together. We haven't read a whole lot yet, but I'm putting scriptures together so that you know how to use your authority against the devil. So that you can actually enforce Luke 10, 19. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions, forms of evil, demons, devils, whatever, and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's the truth. You have authority over the devil and all of his evil, but you have to use your authority. You have to make the dog leave the house. Anybody had a stray animal sneak into your house? Anybody ever have a raccoon sneak in your house? I have personal stories about raccoons sneaking in the house. And nobody in their right mind just sits there and goes, oh my gosh, there's a raccoon in the house. Everybody, please pray for me. No, 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 man, you, you scurry, you get something to start knocking things silly and you chase that sucker out. That's how you have to treat the devil out of your life. That's, that's authority. I have authority over the little raccoon. Even if it's scary, you got to be bold and courageous and go at it. That's authority. You have to use your authority or the devil just eats your lunch. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I'll spare you my raccoon stories, even though I did build a six foot by six foot, foot trap for my mom in Louisiana. Anyway, hello, mom. We've quoted Psalm 4. Okay, so, so here's what you're trying to figure out. You're trying to figure out that God is good. He's only good. He's never bad. He's never both. He's a good father, and that means he's good to you all the time. He's not good sometimes and bad sometimes, right? With God, there's only good gifts that come from above. Only good things come from God, not, not bad things and good things. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, he's spending all of his time in the next thousands of years showing us his kindness to us through Jesus Christ. He's showing us his kindness. And so you can expect only good things from God. So when a bad thing's happen, never look up, so to speak. Never look up with blame. Well, why did you let that happen? Never do that. Never do that. Bad stuff's going to happen. Don't look up. Look down and say no. Look down at the devil and say no, 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 no. It either comes from the devil or it comes from the world or it comes from people. It, half of it comes from yourself. 33% comes from your own self. 33% of your own garbage came from your own brain. 
So we've quoted Psalm 145 many times. You should know it by heart by now that the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, even to you. And his tender mercies are over all his works. So if whatever happened to you didn't have tender mercy on it, it wasn't from God. So you got you to let this redefine the way you think about him. Because too many people have approached God cowering. God, if you could possibly. I know I hadn't been all that good lately. If you, if you approach God that way, you will get nothing. You will get nothing. I mean, you might accidentally, coincidentally get something, but not from God. The only way to approach God is with full confidence. You approach him in Christ, through Christ, and you approach him with confidence. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you. That's how you approach the Father. So we've talked a lot about that. But this is why we teach a lot about it. So you have confidence in your father. So you understand God. Too many out there don't understand God. They think he's still like the God of the Old Testament. Their image is wrong. And so they stay as far away as they can. There's been people that have read only the Old Testament. They're as far away from God as you can possibly get. Thinking, I don't want any part of a God like that. Because if they didn't grow up understanding covenant, who would? Life was desperate, empty without Christ. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I'll just quote some scripture to remind us for sure. You got to know these things about God. These are his character traits that pass through the cross. I mean, he's the same God. He's always the same God. He's not changing. But the way that he dealt with humans has gotten way better because sin has been paid for. But even in the Old Testament, Psalm 86 verse 15 says, You, O Lord, are God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in kindness and truth. Psalm 103.8, Merciful and gracious is Jehovah, slow to anger and abundant in mercy. Jesus even said in Luke 6, he said, be merciful, even as your father in heaven is merciful. You and I need to have some faith in his mercy, in his compassion, in his ability to not make you pay for something you deserved. Hebrews 8, 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. God is not remembering your sins. Are you glad about that? Did you know that God doesn't remember your stupidity from last week? You stay in Christ, you admit when you're wrong, he forgets your sins. So stop talking about them and stop doing them. He's merciful to forget and forgive you. Never think that you've done too much wrong. <clears throat> if you remember, even, even in the Old Testament, they had the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which was in the Holy of Holies, and the top of it was called the Mercy Seat. 
The mercy seat, yeah, that's the mercy seat where all the sacrificial animals had to be sprinkled, had had their blood sprinkled. The mercy seat. What's he talking about? He's talking about this is how I give mercy to humanity. I can do it. Even, be, even though you're sinners, I can do it if we have a sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. So God can give mercy to everybody, even the evil people. Even the worst of the worst. So how many of the worst do we have? No. How many? It's like how many good people in here? How many not so good people in here? How many terrible people in here? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're kind of good, real good, not so good. Uh, he covers your sin if you're in Christ. He washes it away. Forgets them. Praise the Lord. Uh, go to James with me. We'll, we'll end up there at some point. I want to read you this story because this, this discussion has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. The idea that either God is for me or he's against me. Which one is it? They had the question in the Old Testament. <laughs> are you for us or are you against us? And it's neither. You're with me. <laughs> it's not that I have to be your cheerleader on the side. You're with me. But the question has always been there. The argument or the discussion about God's goodness in times of need has always been there. How come prayers go unanswered? Well, we're trying to shore up all of those little cracks of doubt that you might have. So uh, there's a man named John Alexander Dowie who really was one of the first in modern day to believe in the healing power of God in a way that changed the world. And it changed the world because so many people got healed and so many ministers caught the spirit of faith from there and took the healing power around the world. So in, in Australia is where he began, John Alexander Dowie. And I'll skip some of the story, but in his home church, this is before he understood anything about praying for the sick and seeing them well. Now, most every believer in God, all Christians understand praying for the sick. People pray for the sick forever. They've been praying for the sick forever. Every church prays for the sick. Very few get results until they find truth in the Bible they can believe. You got to find Bible truth that you can believe before God ever answers the prayer. <clears throat> so in his church, he had had a plague come through the city and, and 30 of his church members had died from it. And it was a terrible disease and, and people would foam at the mouth and it was just very ugly and nasty and stinky. And they were having to bury all these church members. And this goes on for weeks. But here's where I pick up the story. He said, it seems sometimes if I could almost hear the triumphant mockery of fiends or demons ringing in my ear while I spoke to the bereaved ones, the words of Christian hope and consolation. There's a conflict, right? To say God is so good when all these terrible things are happening, even to his people. And so we need answers. Like somebody needs to say, why, how? And that's why we spend so much time. He said, disease, the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother, sin, was defiling and destroying the earthly temples of God's children, and it seemed there was no deliverer. He said, there I sat with sorrow, bowed 
bowed my head for my afflicted people until the bitter tears came to relieve my burning heart. Then I prayed to God and said, how have I longed to hear some words from him who wept and sorrowed for suffering long ago? So he was praying, asking God for answers. And it says this, then the words of the Holy Ghost inspired in Acts 10.38 stood before me all radiant with light, revealing Satan as the defiler and Christ as the healer. Now, if you can't quote Acts 10.38 on your own, you should be wondering, what is that? Well, that's Peter's message to the first Gentile family where he tells about Christ and what Christ did and who he is. That how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all. How many? All. Who were oppressed by the devil. Amen. Jesus came to save us from sins. He also came to heal those who are oppressed by the devil. Right. <clears throat> he said, my tears were wiped away. My heart was strong. I saw the way of healing and the door was opened wide. And so I said, God, help me now to preach that word to all the dying around and tell them how it is Satan that still defiles and Jesus still delivers for he is just the same today. Now, this is a revelation that we've been preaching for 20 something years, right? I mean, you got into the kingdom and man, this is one of the first truths you heard in a spirit filled church because we found it's true. How come nobody knew it before then? Well, sometimes that's how people read the Bible. They just kind of glaze over stuff, but you can't do that. Take every scripture literally, interpreting it in light of other scripture. So he says this. Now he says, in a strange way it came to pass. I found the sword I needed was in my hands. And in my hand I held it still and never will I lay it down. Or I hold it still and I never will lay it down. The doctor who was in the room, a good Christian man, was quietly walking up and down, sharing the mother of Mary's pain and grief. He had been called to the house of this young teenager who was dying. Presently, this doctor stood by my side and said, Sir, are not God's ways mysterious? Hey, if you don't have answers, it looks like a mystery. What's the mystery? Why would God allow this precious child to die like this? That's the mystery. Christians have had these questions forever. We're trying to debunk all of these myths. Because from this type of thought, Christians come up with God. God works in mysterious ways. Nobody knows. And then people, amen, pastor, amen. And we just go on in the superstitious fantasy world of Christianity. No, 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 no. With Christ came the revelation of the mystery. Before Christ, it was kind of mysterious. Before Christ, you don't see hardly anything said about the devil being the afflictor. After Christ, demon possessed people everywhere. Because there was an answer for it. With Jesus Christ comes the answers that we've all been waiting on. There is no more mystery. It's Satan that defiles. It's Christ that heals. 
He said, instantly the sword was flashing in my hand. The spirit sword, the word of God. God's way, I said to this doctor, pointing to the scene of conflict. How dare you, Dr. K? And then he didn't, he didn't say his whole name out of mercy. How dare you call that God's way of bringing his children home from earth to heaven? No, sir, that's the devil's work. And it's time we called on him who came to destroy the works of the devil. To slay that deadly foul destroyer and to save the child. Can you pray, doctor? Can you pray the prayer of faith that saves the sick? At once, offended at my words, my friend was changed, saying, you are too much excited, sir. (laughs) Tis best to say, God's will be done. And that's the myth that has carried through Christian denominations ever since. Ever since the 300s, when faith seemed to diminish, denominations still have that doctrine. Whatever is God's will will happen. If it's God's will, heal this poor afflicted person. We've learned that's not how you pray. That's not what James meant. That's not what Jesus meant. That's not what John the Apostle meant when he said, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. You're supposed to know his will, ask according to that. Not just tack on if it's your will at the end of the prayer. So he left the room this doctor. Excited? The word was quite inadequate for what I was almost frenzied with divinely imparted anger and hatred of that foul destroyer. And this is what you and I need to get to against the devil. You need to get some anger and some hatred and some intensity against the devil. Whatever he's doing to your life, you need to get serious about this. If it's a mental thing, you better get serious about it. If it's a temptation and a sin, you better get serious about it. If it's sickness, disease, if it's poverty, if it's never feeling like you're ever really succeeding, you better get serious about this and command the devil out and you stick to it. Dowie says, it it is not so, I exclaim. No will of God sends such cruelty. And I shall never say God's will be done to Satan's works which God's own son came to destroy. And this is one of them. Oh, how the word of God was burning in my heart. Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And was not God with me? Was not Jesus there and all of his promises true? I felt that it was even so And turning to the mother, I inquired, why did you send for me? To which she answered, do pray. Oh, pray for her that God may raise her up. Notice, in the middle of this, he has revelation, he has power, he's ready to do it, but he has to get permission from mama. He has to get, permi- he's, he has to get faith from somebody. Same that Jesus did. Jesus had to get faith from somebody. Somebody had to come in faith, or somebody had to send somebody to come in faith, or a parent had to come in faith for their child, and Jesus would deal with their faith. Do you believe? If you can believe, all things possible to him that believes. You have to recognize that, that all things are possible if somebody can believe it. And if there's nobody else around, it's you that's going to have to believe it. And it says, and so we prayed. What did I say? He said, it may be that I cannot now recall the words without mistake. And so there's a little prayer in here that he prayed, but it's not important. It's not the the formal prayer. It's not the perfect prayer. It's not the professional religious sound. 
It's the faith behind it all. So he could have just said, mm. okay, fine. You don't like that? Mm. In the name of Jesus. And so be careful about thinking that this long formality is what God's looking for when Jesus never used one. Jesus would say one sentence, one line of rebuke to the devil, or he just touched them. Let's follow Jesus. The only difference is that Jesus knew who he was. He knew he had the Holy Spirit and power. And so when he said it, something happened. That's our goal. Listen, that's, what, that's one reason why we're all in church all the time. We're trying to stay sharp, trying to learn enough to have some confidence and then stay sharp the rest of our lives so that we can execute when it's needed. Then we'll see more good things. We'll see more miracles and we won't have so many dumb questions. And we'll have answers when somebody does have a dumb question. Listen, once you got this figured out, there's no going back. Once you know who your heavenly father is, it'll change your life forever. I learned the lesson when I was 12. When I was a kid, I learned this lesson. I knew that God was available. And then when I was 26, it really came to light. And I recognized my heavenly father answers me. Like I go around thinking, well, he'll answer my prayer. Like if you don't want your prayer answered, don't come ask me. That's how we should all feel. It's like... No, no, I got this thing with God. He's real close to me. So he prayed for her. It says, and lo, the maid, still, the maid lay still in sleep, so deep and sweet that the mother said in a low whisper, is she dead? Now he says, no, I, I answered a whisper lower still. Mary will live, the fever is gone, she's perfectly well and sleeping as an infant sleeps. After his prayer, he knew. After your prayers, you can know. And if you don't know, then you hadn't connected well. Do it again. Go back to the Holy Ghost and say, let's do this again. I, I want to come from, I want to know. He said, Get me at once, please, a cup of cocoa and several slices of bread and butter. This was before they had Vegemite, I guess, in Australia. <laughs> Beside the sleeping man. I'm picking on the Australians. How many Australians in here? I know we got a couple. <clears throat> Beside the sleeping maid, we sat quietly and almost silently until the nurse returned. And then I bent over her and snapping my fingers said, Mary... Instantly, she awoke, smiled, and said, oh, sir, when did you come? I have slept so long. Then stretching out her arms to meet her mother's embrace, she said, mother, I feel so well, and I'm hungry too. And then blah, 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 blah. He fed her the cocoa and, and the toast or whatever. Okay, and that, that began Dowie's healing ministry, and nobody else in his church died. Why, you say? He got a revelation of something. Really just one scripture. I mean, he knew the Bible. He read the Bible. Many Christians read the Bible. Revelation comes, and it changes everything. Once you get a revelation like this in your heart, sickness and disease will be spoken of differently in your house. Like, once you get this in your heart, you will not be able to sit through one of those dumb medicine commercials. You just won't be able to sit through it. 
Last one I saw, they were singing a song about their disease. Playing games with the devil's diseases. Don't ever, don't ever assign that to yourself. Don't ever be proud of some disease you've got. Get, get angry at it. Kick that sucker out of your life. Get serious about these things. Listen, you don't, you don't have to be serious about the things of God, but you'd have a happier life. Sometimes people try to shove everything in the closet of their mind so they can remain happy or fake happy. No, no, get that stuff out and deal with it with God's word so you'll be really happy. <clears throat> so, I'm really a happy person. But I do have some angst against people not understanding God. People misrepresenting, misrepresenting my heavenly father, especially in pulpits causing Christians, millions of Christians to be trained wrong and taught wrong from God's word, just, just ignoring Jesus Christ almost altogether. They'll take him as savior, but they have no idea about Jesus, the healer. Just ignore all of that and come up with some doctrine that says, well, you know, it all passed away when the apostles died. Fine, fine. You want to believe that? Show me the scripture. You can say, you can say anything and believe anything. If you can show me a scripture for it, if not, we're going to argue. You can give me your false opinion, I'll give you three scriptures. You can give me one scripture, I'll give you five more. Come on, you need to feel this way. I'm trying to impart to you how to feel about your heavenly father. He sent his only son, Jesus died for this. He died for you to be set free from all that hinders you. The plan was the eyes of the blind would open, the ears of the deaf be unstopped, the lame man would leap and run like a deer. Come on, the plan was that this glorious salvation would come spiritually to people. Enough to change your physical life. Not change your country yet. We'll, we'll change the country later. Not, not change the whole wide world. He's going to sit on his throne and do that with us later. Right now, it's a spiritual one. Right now, he came as a suffering servant with the power of God to get devils away from people to get demons out of their mind, to get demons out of their soul, to get demons out of their body. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We haven't even got past page one. But sometimes you just need a little shot in the arm about this stuff. Not a vaccine, but a shot of faith. Uh, what it is, it's, it's a, you need an attitude. You, you need an attitude that says, mm. Now you can go to the pharmacy when you want to. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you don't do anything else, make sure you get some faith in your heart that changes you at home. Make sure that you're able to recognize where your true source is. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Um, I said, James, yeah, we're in James one. Let's do James one and then we'll close. Now this might take 35 minutes, but anyway, somebody's already grabbing their purse. Come on. Once you find the source of life is in God's word, 
then you ought to be able to spend longer than 30 minutes listening to it. You're just going to have to grow up. Wait, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to have to stretch yourself. And all it is, listen, 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 look, all it is is your flesh is not used, some of you, your flesh is not used to sitting in church very long. Your flesh is not familiar with giving God an hour and 45 minutes, ever. You give him a minute 45 before you go to work. People just aren't used to it until they give themselves to it. It's like exercise. You got to give yourself to it. First time, man, you're done after three minutes trying to, oh, this isn't for me. Not the first time and not the second time, not the third time, not the fourth time, not the fifth time. But if you've ever done it, you know, after about 15 or 20 times, ooh, this ain't so bad after all. Same thing with spiritual stuff. Your flesh doesn't like it. Your flesh is like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. I think I'm starving. Oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. If I I'm going to die if I don't eat. And the, and the devil, the devil will sneak in with people. And he's, he's yeah, that's right. You are going to die. You're going to die. And then if he can't get you with that one, it's, yeah, you're gonna, it's going to be too long a line at the, at the restaurant. It's going to be too long a line at the restaurant. It's still sunny outside. It's still sunny outside. It's still sunny outside. And when it's raining, it's, it's raining outside. It's raining outside. You got to get home before it starts really raining. Devil's a liar. He's going he's gonna to throw every curveball. He's double-minded. I mean, he'll get you one way if he can. He'll pop one tire, and then he'll pop two tires. And I'm like, we got a flat tire. I can't go, I guess. I was... Listen, until you can come to church on a flat tire, he will he keep popping your tires. If your tire is flat, then you call and you come in 20 minutes late. All right, let's deal with this one. This is a myth that we need to bust. Uh, I won't take too long, I don't think. Uh, but this is a myth, and you've heard it, and you've said it, and you've even thought it probably, uh, that, you know, well, I guess, I don't know why we're going through this. I guess maybe this is, maybe this is God testing me. Is this a test? Is God testing his people all the time to see if, see if what? Like, that's a good question. Is, he test, is this hardship a test from God? They say it all the time. God put me in prison to test me. No, you put yourself in prison with your stupid decisions. Don't blame it on God. And then, and then the other, other stuff, it's not a test, okay? And I'm going to prove it to you that God's not testing his people with evil and affliction. He never tests anybody with anything evil or affliction or suffering. He doesn't do that. No tragedy has ever been given by God to test you. Never. Nobody has suffered evil because God was testing them. He doesn't test with evil. He's a good God. Only good things come from God. <clears throat> so this, this chapter, this whole chapter is talking about trials that we face in the earth. And this is what it says. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. All right, stop there. Yes, testing will produce some good character. Testing will produce some patience. 
If you go through something and do it well by faith, you'll come out strong. But notice it never says, never says God gave you the trial. How do we know? Because it says when you fall into various trials, not when God gives you various trials. So we have to exempt God from the trials. Trials come, tribulation comes. Jesus promised we would have it in this world. Comes from the world though. Comes from the devil. Comes from situations. Doesn't come from God. You need to know this. This is how the chapter begins. When you fall into various trials, you're supposed to count it all joy. What does that mean? That means something goes on and it's kind of tough and you're supposed to first thing, glory to God. Come on, family. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Let's count it joy. It don't seem very joyful, but let's do it anyway. Why would we do that? Because he said to. Now let's skip part of this. And uh, well, before before I do this, there's a word in this chapter called temptation. It's a Greek word, piera, or pierasmos, if you conjugate the verb and all that. Piera means temptation, test, proving, trial, okay? So temptation, we know that God doesn't tempt you to sin, right? Can, can we agree he doesn't tempt us to sin? Like, like who tempts you to sin? Okay. I'm glad we got that one right. Well, if God was to give you some hard thing, some evil thing, what would he be doing it for? To see if you would what? Keep the faith? If that was the case, he'd be tempting you to lose faith. So he wouldn't put sickness on anybody to see if they would keep the faith. Well, God's just seeing if I keep the faith. That's a temptation to lose faith. So just the logic of it is very clear. But verse 13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, evil nor, does he tempt, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But let's add the other words in, because it could be. All the words for the Greek word piera could be included here. So neither does he, let no one say when he's tempted, tested, or proved, that he's tempted, tested, or proved by God, for God cannot be tempted tested or proved by evil, nor does he, he himself tempt or test anyone. So I cannot let you say that when you're tested, that you're tested by God. He doesn't test anybody with evil. You okay with that? And then it does talk about sin. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. That variation thing and shadow of lights is a sundial. God, the the sundial shadow changes throughout the day. God doesn't. The shadow's there now, it's there later. God's the same every day. Same every morning, same during the day, same every day, same every year. And he's only good, every good gift, only good gifts come from above. So you need to distinguish when it's bad, it came from the devil. Now you know how to address it. This is one of the failures Christians have had. They weren't sure where the evil came from. Well, was it from the devil or was it from God trying to show me something? It's like, how can you pray in faith if you don't even know if God gave it? 
it's like if God actually gave you the sickness to test you and perfect you, why would you pray to get out of it? I mean, if that's the case, the doctors are sinning every day trying to help people. It's like if God's testing you with this sickness, then please don't ever, don't anybody go to the hospital. Just logic. I mean, you got to have half a brain to get through the Bible. It's like, okay, so let's say sickness was a test. And, and so Jesus and God's like, this person needs to be tested. Let's see if they're that strong, that they think they're that strong. Let's test them with some sickness. This is hypothetical. It's not true. And then, boom, the person gets sick and they accidentally die. And then Jesus looks over at the father and says, we didn't measure the, the dosage of that test, did we? <laughs> if the person dies, wasn't a very good test, was it? Well, we didn't mean to kill you with the test. And then somebody else will say, uh, God, God only gives trials to those who can handle them. They got sick. God, God only, he told me he only gave me this because he knew I could handle it. How many times you, how many of you heard that? Look around, look around, raise your hand up. How many of you heard that? He only gives to, to hardship to those that can handle it. Only gives sickness to those. That, what? There's a lot of people who hadn't handled anything. It's just, it's just, listen, for some reason, even Christians can live in fantasy world. Living in fantasy world is like better than no world at all, right? Living in fantasy world gives me a, a sense of hope. It's false hope, but it's hope. Like, I just know one day I'm going to win a million dollars. I'm going to play. Well, people, people live on that. It's fake. You'll never win. Stop trying to win the lottery. You're never going to win the lottery. I say so. I prophesy. That's not what Christians do. We don't play the lottery living on some false hope. That's just a tax for the poor. And it's not biblical. What happens is uh, trials expose our spiritual weaknesses. Like if, you, if you're having a hard time getting through your trial, you recognize, many of it, we recognize, oh, I'm weak. Something's wrong here. I'm weak. Doesn't mean God gave it to me to expose it. The test itself exposes me. God was trying to prepare me long before the test. Long before the world or the devil gave me anything, God was trying to prepare me in faith. Now, you will have to use your faith at some point. Faith doesn't mean you just coast around all the trials. Faith means you can knock them dead every time. Faith means you can move every mountain. You can pluck up every tree. You can resist every demon. If you have strong faith, you can overcome this world. Now, these are all scriptures, right? This is how you put it all together and recognize where do I fit in this battle? Remember uh, in Luke 22, uh, Jesus told Peter this. He said, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan was going to tempt Peter to give up his faith. Not Jesus. 
Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Jesus praying for all of you that your faith fail not. And you know, Peter did deny Christ three times, but then he said, after you're converted, you convert your brethren. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13. Uh, Let's read this together. Did I say we were at the last scripture? I don't want to take it back. So you don't turn there. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, test yourselves. You should be testing yourself. Don't make the devil test you. You should be testing yourself. That's why I'm always giving you hypotheticals. Look, what if somebody did persecute you for righteousness sake? What are you going to do? What if the devil did come? What if somebody did deliver a box of snakes to your front door? Oh, honey, I guess, I guess, I guess we got to take these snakes. No, I didn't order the snakes. Shut the door on the devil. He brings sickness, disease. Shut the door. Don't be thinking, God, what are you trying to show me? Think of how Jesus was tested. Did God ever test Jesus with some hardship? Did he test Jesus with sickness, disease? Did he test Jesus with horse and buggy accident? Jesus was tested by the devil. The devil tempted him, tested him in the wilderness. Then he was tested when they needed some tax money. Didn't have any tax money. Jesus knew what to do. Let's go fishing. And then, then Jesus was tested when Judas betrayed him. But it wasn't from God. None of that was from God. God doesn't test you. Now, somebody, how many of you in here are thinking, but what about Abraham? What about Abraham? How many of you thinking that? You haven't even read Genesis, have you? I see somebody, okay, good, good, glory to God. You should be, you should be thinking, what about Abraham? Because the Bible said he tested Abraham. He tested Abraham, tested Abraham's faith. How did he do it? He commanded Abraham to sacrifice his only son on the altar. That's testing. That's tough. But he didn't make him go through with it. He didn't cause evil. He tested his heart. There's scripture that says he tries the hearts and reins. He tests our hearts and mind. He knows what's in us. He tests us on the inside, not the outside. When God, in the Bible, God tested Abraham once with a command. He tested Israel with the whole law to see if they would obey him. The only time God ever tests us, it's with words and questions. Not sickness, disease, calamity, and tragedy. You got to get this in you. I'm going to keep on talking today until the first person gets wet. The only time Jesus ever tested somebody, he didn't send his disciples off to go get harmed by the devil. The only time Jesus tested anybody was with words. In John chapter six, he was talking with Philip and they had a multitude with him who had been on the crusade with them. And he said, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip, being carnal, not being full of faith, what did he say? He said, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. Two two denarii is not enough to feed all these people. And it says, and Jesus did this to test him for he knew what he would say. 
He wasn't thinking that he's with the miracle worker. He was just being natural and carnal. So the only way Jesus ever tests us is with questions, words, commands. You'll find that in your life. You'll be in prayer and he'll give you a hypothetical or he'll give you something to do. What's he doing? He's testing you. Not in some evil hard way, just in a fatherly way. No good parent would ever test their children with harm. Like, don't touch the hot stove. Here, let me show you how hot it is. No, no, no parent would harm their children to train them or test them. The only way a parent would test would be like, what do you think would happen if you touch that? What do you think would happen if you ran out in the street? Questions. That's how parents train. That's how God trains. He trains us with his word and his spirit, not with evil and calamity. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus tested the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler said, what do I need to receive eternal life? He said, well, just obey the commands. He said, I've done all that. Ah, there's one thing you need to do. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. And the man went away grieved because he had great possessions. What was that? That was a test. Let's see if you can part with your substance. Let's see if you can part with the thing that is so precious to you right now. That was a test. Wasn't evil, wasn't calamity, wasn't suffering. It was a spiritual test. So you need to be okay with God testing you that way, but you also need to be not okay when the devil is killing you. The devil is the one that steals all your money. If something's stealing your money, you better stand up and say, get off my finances. And then you need to follow some Bible principles about money. Find out how, how you're supposed to treat money, think about money, how you're supposed to spend money, how you're supposed to save money. I just lost half the crowd right there on the save money part. Don't confuse hard, this is the final thing, don't confuse a hard situation with God testing you. To get to the next level in life, there'll be some work. Like if you want to become uh, a doctor, you got to go to school way longer than I wanted to, right? It's, it's effort you got to put in if you're going to be the CEO of a company. How many of you want to own your own business? Get ready for some work. Get ready for some tough, tough months. And don't be looking up saying, God, are you testing me? You told me to start this business. Are you testing me? No. To get to the next level of achievement, there is some sweat involved. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.